This program is produced by listener-supported KFUO Radio. Your support during KFUO share is vital to the continuation of great programs like this one. If you appreciate this program, please consider what you can give to support the ongoing ministry of KFUO Radio and this program. You can make a gift sending a text to the number 41444. Enter KFUO as the message. You'll get a text right back that walks you through the steps on your phone and it takes just a minute or two. You can also visit kfuo.org and click on the donate button or give Mary a call at 314-996-1518. Thanks for listening and supporting KFUO Radio. Christ for you anytime, anywhere. Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Wednesday, April 27th, we're studying Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 13. The day of Pentecost has arrived, and the Lord Jesus keeps his promise to send the Holy Spirit to his disciples. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Harrison Goodman. Pastor Goodman serves as content executive for Higher Things. Pastor Goodman, welcome back to Sharper Iron. It's great to be with you. Let's talk context, Pastor Goodman. We're starting Acts chapter 2 today. What do we need to know going up to this text? So it is Pentecost. It is is 50 days after. Um, And so this was actually a Jewish festival. So obviously they weren't necessarily celebrating 50 days after the resurrection of the Lord. Um, But uh, this was the, uh, well, at the time of the apostles, more of a harvest festival. Um, And later on, it would would start to mark uh, specifically a, a more holy day where it was 50 days after the giving of the law at Sinai. So with with that, I mean, when you think about the Old Testament context here, 50 days or the sometimes I think in the Old Testament, it's usually called the Feast of Weeks, Mm -hmm. like a week of weeks, seven weeks after the Passover. That's what we're talking about. And I've also heard that there is that there's a at least in some circles, it was celebrated as this giving of the law. But now I think you said that that's comes after the time of Jesus. Which of those do we really need to know more background about as, as Christians looking at this? Uh, this is, look to Passover, um, especially as Christians, as we start to, to look to um, our Lord's fulfillment of it. Uh, you're going to see a lot more in the idea of what the church should look like, especially when you start to consider the context of Passover uh, that really was, uh, it, it was the church in all nations. Even in the Old Testament, you had uh, Israel in the midst of Egypt constantly proclaiming not just to their own people, but to all the world, uh, the, the law and gospel of the Lord. And, and you even start to see it after uh, after the Passover. There's this really cool thing. Um, you, you, you know the, the tragedy of the angel of death passing over um, every house that was marked with the blood of the lamb across its doorpost, uh, but, but striking down the firstborn of everyone that was not. Uh, there's this thing that happens after the fact, though, uh, as Israel is finally uh, allowed to leave uh, slavery inside of Egypt, a bunch of Egyptians go with them. 
and they kind of disappear in the text because they become Israelites, that they, they become part of the church. Um, if you want to start to understand, especially what modern day Pentecost looks like, it, it's actually easy to start to find it, not only in the death and resurrection of Jesus and the fulfillment of uh, all that was there and, and the understanding of what that meal, the Passover meal that you get in the Lord's Supper, but even in a, the, the context of what the church looks like in terms of how it preaches to the world, all of it finds it, its root in the Passover. Let's go ahead and take a look at this text. We are in Acts chapter 2 this morning, verses 1 to 13. The, what happens on Pentecost is an extended narrative. We're going to look at what happens. Tomorrow we'll talk about what Peter preaches. So this is Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians? We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others, mocking, said, They are filled with new wine. That's our text for today. That's Acts 2, verses 1 to 13. Pastor Goodman, we've got Pentecost. They're all together in one place. We've seen this in the previous chapter, that they were constantly gathering together, this early church. And then all of a sudden on this day of Pentecost, a lot of crazy stuff happens. Take us into what happens. Oh, it gets nuts. Uh, suddenly, uh, suddenly is one of those fun words that that uh, is really sort of meant to, to convey just sort of the chaos of the nature. There came from heaven the sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And we know that it was loud enough that it suddenly attracted the attention of the whole city. Uh, everybody came to see what the noise was, which means that it was not quiet. And um, it, it wasn't a physical thing. In, in the same way that uh, the well, the tongues of fire that appear over them doesn't mean that their heads were on fire, but you would look at them and it would look as if there were uh, tongues of, of flame dancing above each of the apostles' heads. Um, it, it's it's time to hear a sermon, time to go to church, uh, and God's got a way of getting our attention, I suppose. Um, this would be then the... the uh, the fulfillment of what the baptizer told us of, that there would be one who would uh, baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Um, it, it's it's a mark that the Holy Spirit is doing something here. And that's actually the thing to pay attention to. We get real caught up in the noise and in the sights, but um, we actually are really only setting the stage for uh, the real important stuff, which is going to come tomorrow, which is where the Holy Spirit actually works through the word and then the aftermath after that through the sacraments. Um, it, it's sort of important uh, because I, I understand that this is a, a giant text that we have to break up into three days, but it's not sort of like three 
distinct things that God would work through that, you know, first you would catch your attention with miracles. And now when you're paying attention because of miracles, then you can, you can have some Bible. And if you really, really approve of the Bible, you can choose to be baptized. No, instead, we rather have the Holy Spirit at work as he has promised to be. uh, And you will eventually find them through the words of of Peter. Uh, We can't, we can't disconnect the signs from the word of God. Rather, the word of God creates these things. The, the The signs extend from the word of God because, I mean, after all, when the word speaks, stuff happens. The The word was, let there be light. And well, there it was. And so in the same way, uh, when we start to, to deal with sort of all of the, uh, the, the, the wacky stuff that happens right now, um, we really want to recognize that, that what's happening right now is really nothing more and nothing less than God's getting ready to speak. You, you actually had sort of the same thing, even when uh, Jesus was baptized, different gospels recorded a little bit different, depending on, you know, who sort of saw and heard what. Uh, but we, we know that after the, the voice from heaven proclaimed, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased, the, the spirit also descended in the form of a dove and remained on Jesus, that, that the spirit would sort of remain on Jesus means that, that he speaks with the, the spirit of God, that it is the, the word of the Lord that is meant to be heard and received by you. And so in the same way, when we see the, the Holy Spirit baptizing now with fire, when we look to the apostles, what we can see is a, a, a um, an immediate um, sign from God that, that we are to hear preaching from them. An immediate means not through the normal means of the church, but this is sort of the beginnings of, of the New Testament church where God is sort of making the mark and says, these are the ones you're going to listen to. And from them will come the church that we would, we would mark today. Mm. I like the way that you connected, as you said, the three texts that we'll look at all here in Acts chapter two, putting them together, not disconnecting them. And we want to make sure we keep that in mind as we read them on these three consecutive days. In terms of the, the signs that we do see, and again, not disconnected from the word, I'd like to talk a little bit about why these signs get connected to the Holy Spirit. So the first one is this sound. And as you said, it is a a sound that it's like a mighty rushing wind. So they're not feeling the wind, but they are hearing the sound of a wind. Why, why would the mighty rushing wind, that sound, be connected with the Spirit? Well, Jesus himself tells us that the Spirit is like the wind that uh, you, uh, Nicodemus, you never know where it's coming or where it's going. But this is this is the Holy Spirit then at work to, to preach. Um, and, and rather than necessarily trying to get your head around how, we can recognize that God is bigger than us. And instead, we can we can start to recognize who. And who is, is usually the better question to ask. And after all, this was the, the real question of Nicodemus when he went out to see Jesus by night. Um, who are you? And if you are just a prophet, do we do we mark your words inside of a, a narrower context? Or do we, do we cast aside the parts where you say you're more than a, a prophet? If you are, however, God doing these things, well, we need to hear it. Uh, the the who becomes very very important, especially uh, especially here at Pentecost, because it was hard enough for us to look at Jesus, who is God incarnate, and say I should definitely listen to him. In fact, most people didn't. Now it's now it's sinners, and so it becomes doubly important to know that these ones preaching are the ones we should hear as if God were speaking through them. The other place that my mind goes when I think about the Holy Spirit and the connection to wind is in Ezekiel chapter 37, Mm -hmm. where he sees that valley of dry bones and Ezekiel is told to prophesy, to speak to the wind or to the spirit. And then you see this, you know, this great army come together where the Lord takes this valley of dry bones and he makes it into a, a living army. It seems like 
that might be another connection we can make to the day of Pentecost. Absolutely. And here you saw um, just by by simple preaching that the dead were raised up in their flesh and even more so after that giving hope. Um, again, we, we, we don't want to disconnect the miracle from the, the word of God that, that comes from it. And so it's, it's one thing to sort of say there were bones that knit themselves together and flesh grew upon them. But as soon as they're knit together, they start to wail that their hope is lost. And so the Lord would command the prophet then to preach hope to the risen. Even those alive in Christ today are, are going to be real short of hope when they're in the midst of sin, death, and the devil. Yeah, the emphasis that you're putting on the Word of God is very appropriate, particularly on a day like Pentecost, when it it is easy to lose sight of that or to lose sound of it. When in the midst of these great signs, that the Word of God continues to be the main actor. When we introduced the book of of Acts with Doctor Oshwald, he he made that point that when you look at the the book of Acts and you see who is doing the the verbs, if you want to think about it, is it, is it, is it a biography of somebody? Well, you've got Peter doing a lot of stuff, you've got Paul doing a lot of stuff, when you actually sit down and look at who's running the show. It's the word of God. The word of God is active. And that is true right here on Pentecost, especially. Absolutely. Um, You could even go to Elijah who hides away from all of these things. Um, And so the Lord passes by, but not in an earthquake and not in a fire, but in the sound of a low whisper. Uh, It's it's always going to be sort of the sinner's idea that we can turn towards the enthusiasm of the moment, the miracle of the day, that the bright, shiny thing that we're sure will give us control over all the things we actually want. But Ezekiel, who's terrified because he has none of those things, is is finally confronted by God who is uh, found within the sound of a low whisper. Now, the other, another visible sign, there are divided tongues of fire that appear on them and rest on each one of them. What's the connection between the Holy Spirit and fire? I think you mentioned the preaching of John. That's where I kind of uh, initially took it, um, that the, the idea that, that this would be sort of the fulfillment of Jesus' ministry and not somehow less than Jesus' ministry. The fulfillment of, of John, who, who uh, was, was sent to, to be the forerunner to the Christ, the idea that, that he would sort of bring us to Jesus. Uh, we're always sort of left with the idea that we get less than all of the people who got to see Jesus and interact mm-hmm. with Jesus, so that, that we somehow sort of have to settle for hearing about him when they actually got to see him. When in reality, you receive Christ. It, it, he is where two or three are gathered in his name. He is with us always where he, we're being baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and taught to observe the things that he has commanded us, where we eat and drink his body and blood in the Lord's Supper. We don't have less. And in some cases, uh, you might even make the argument that that we have more because we understand fully we are taught in, in the fullness of of, of the apostolic faith, what it is that's happening around us. And so that the, the apostles then come uh, baptized with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Uh, I, I think it's important to recognize, especially today when, you know, Good Friday is about to, you know, come along and, and Easter is going to come along. And, and here we are after the fact and the Lord has ascended and we're still with modern earthly problems and we just want to take them to Jesus and say, fix them all. Then I'll be really then I'll be perfectly faithful and perfectly happy and I'll have no more problems. And in reality, Christ is here where his word is being preached by, by men. Yeah. You don't, you don't have less of Jesus. You don't miss out because you weren't there. And I think, you know, you mentioned in the time of Jesus ministry, and I think the same is true of, of Pentecost. There's a temptation, boy, I, I wish that like when I went to church on Sunday morning, I'd love for this to happen. I, like I'm missing out on, on something because I don't hear the loud rushing wind or cause I don't see a, a tongue of fire over my pastor's head or anybody else's head. I may, man, I'm missing out. 
actually, this text is a reminder. No, you're not. <laughs> you're not missing out at all. You have the goods. You have Jesus. You have his word. I think it's important for the clergy, too. I mean, I, I don't know about you, but every once in a while, the devil will come and whisper to me, you know, if you could just heal people, I'm sure that more people would come to church. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> I just don't know that that's, that's a healthy approach. Probably not. Probably not. And and I think, I mean, that that very much connects to this text as well, because then the, the next big feature and maybe the one that stands out above them all mm-hmm. is that they're filled with the Holy Spirit and they begin to speak in other tongues. So, boy, that would be really cool, too. So, I mean, let's talk about that. What is what is what's happening here with the speaking in tongues? So they are speaking in tongues and everyone from all over the nations of under heaven are, are hearing it in their own native language, the, the language that they were raised with. Um, it, it, it's uh it would save me a lot of work in Spanish and Greek and Hebrew. And that, that would be awesome too. Uh, and I'm sure that more people would pay attention to me if I could just do this miracle, but it's, it's actually sort of a, a call away from this if you actually pay attention to it. So people talk about speaking in tongues today and they usually end up meaning something very, very different. Um, there, there's sort of two approaches to understand what it is to, to be speaking in tongues. The, the more Pentecostal side of things, the side that we, we, we definitely want to talk about because that's not okay. Uh, it's sort of the idea that, that, uh, you would be pointing to something inexpressible or, or otherworldly or ineffable, something utterly divine that that normal language cannot possibly encapsulate. And for that to be true, you would have to ignore the fact that while God spoke things into existence in a world that uh, a, a language that could be encapsulated, that Jesus spoke and preached in a language that could be in- encapsulated, that, that God actually is called the word of God made flesh. And it's something that we can see and interact with because God doesn't want the word to be farther from you, but, but closer to you. Um, and, and you can carry it forward into just simply a kind of a question of, does God want more people to understand his word or, or less people to understand his word? Um, if, if his word is something that's supposed to be hidden and tucked away um, and, and kept from the vast majority of people, well, then maybe only just one interpreter or two could could be given to understand it. But if this was actually the beginning of a place where people would be uh, preached to in any nation, in every language, well, then the tongues actually uh, are, are given not to, to obscure God's word, but to make it crystal clear that Nobody would ever question for a second what it is that God would will for them, namely that they believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and by believing have life in his name. Um, The tongues then, as we start to deal with them, it, it becomes a chance to sort of, again, look at how the church is to function. Um... And it lets us deal with even the, the tongues that, that happen throughout the epistles. So Paul's going to deal with people who speak in tongues. And this is where the Pentecostals kind of get some of their, their I don't know, mojo uh, for the the whole thing. Um, and they'll, they'll sort of point out, you know, that, that they're, yeah, they'll be an interpreter of the tongues. And, you know, whether or not this has been over and over again proven to be inaccurate, we can still do it and flop around. Uh, but, but rather, um, notice that when Paul talks about speaking in tongues, he's never really actually encouraging it. Uh, he's in fact, more often than not sort of saying, this is not what makes you a Christian. You guys, this is, yeah, some people are given different spiritual gifts. Absolutely. And, and for a time, this, this might've had to exist because the church was under persecution, but you might notice that as the church left persecution, the tongues kind of faded. Uh, they, they might someday, I guess, come back if we enter into days where it's, it's, uh, death to say Jesus is Lord and there, there need to be sermons that are heard by our people. But today, thanks be to God, cry it from the rooftops. It's, it's, it's great. Um, 
but Paul, as he deals with it, he kind of mocks it. In fact, he sort of says, if you, you want to speak in all the tongues of angels, but you have not love, and by love, I mean Jesus, well, you, you're just a noisy gong. Uh, you're a clinging symbol. Instead, earnestly desire the higher things, um, and, and we will find a, a more excellent way. Uh, when, we, when we deal with tongues that, that are happening right now, we get to simply deal with the fact that Jesus wants all sinners to be saved and he delivers this salvation. Well, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. And so as the church finds its beginning and it doesn't necessarily have preachers trained in all tongues yet, God will send them and rejoice because here it's, it's, it's a, a great hope in the face of what missions would look like today, that it's, it's not your job to save souls. It's Jesus' job. Every once in a while, you get to be part of the voice and Thanks be to God. That's amazing. He, he will use your mouth to proclaim something incredible that Jesus is risen from the dead. But if you were to shut your mouth, rocks would cry out. And if you were to not know, well, there, there will be tongues. Thanks be to God, though, that he works through normal means right now. Because, well, as, as marvelous as I think it's about to be, that, that if I could just open my mouth and speak in any language and never have to study Spanish or Greek or Hebrew again and fumble my way through flashcards, well, the people who receive it still kind of struggle with it. So we'll, we'll get there eventually. Um, but, but recognize that there is a, a public deliverance of grace that is happening here right now. Um, and, and that's an important thing. Um, even in the lectionary, we, we kind of sort of find this, at least in the, the historic lectionary, it's, it's always sort of contrasted against the Tower of Babel, uh, where, where the languages are, are muddled and the people are taken away from each other. But, but here, God is using the word to, to unite us in faith and in hope. Yeah, I mean, I, the, talk a little bit more about the, the contrast or the, the reversal, the fulfillment of, of Babel. I'm not sure which word to, to use here, but I mean, there the languages get split apart and it, it becomes a division. Here, the languages are still different, and yet there's unity around something greater. Right. And, and it's not necessarily the things of this world. I, I remember um, before I was, uh, well, I, when I was outside of the faith, uh, I decided one day that I was going to read the Bible and figure out religion real quick so I can get back to doing dumb stuff. And I found uh, Genesis uh, chapter 11, I believe, Babel, uh, real early that's on. Right. Um, and I, I found this really, really inspiring quote that I, I highlighted because I know that that's what you're supposed to do when you find an inspiring Bible verse, you highlight it. And they, they said, uh, nothing will be impossible for them now that they're working together. And I thought, that's great. If we all just set our minds to things, we can build a utopia. Um, and well, that hasn't worked. But God came along and, and muddled their languages because they were trying to build a tower to the heavens without him. Um, right after the flood, when he said he would never again flood the earth, but they were still real, really, really trying to get off the ground floor for some odd reason. Um, I think that as you have all of the people in Babel trying to work together uh, to not need God, he, he gives them a gift of making sure that that won't work because you can't build a tower to heaven. You, you just end up sort of standing on top of other people. It, it's, it's not going to work. There, there is no salvation by works, by being better than anyone else, or, or, or even just fulfilling the works of the law. We cannot be saved by this. So God here, he, he muddles the languages so that we would not try and save ourselves without him. But instead, he, he joins us back together in Pentecost that we would be saved by Jesus. Uh, it, it's, it's a wonderful, wonderful thing that, that a group of people who would do everything in their power to reject God uh, would be met by a, a God who, who comes to them in whatever language that that sin has brought upon them to speak the forgiveness of it. Hmm. In terms of this speaking in tongues, one of the things that I, I think is important with Acts chapter two is that here we have a, a really clear text as to what the speaking of tongues is, that, that here the tongues are given so that 
people can hear the, as they'll say later, the mighty works of God. And then as we know, Peter's going to preach and they're going to come to faith in Jesus. And I, I think one of the the mistakes that is made by some is that instead of letting this clear text about what tongues are and what they do, instead of letting this clear text interpret the less clear ones, like, I mean, you've brought up and I think you've made them clear, but you know, first Corinthians chapter 14 and some of those texts, sometimes they, they reverse that and they let those unclear ones about, Oh, look, I want to speak in tongues interpret this one. And I think it, it is important to get the order right and to see how the Holy Spirit does make use of the speaking of tongues here to bring people to faith in Jesus and let that guide our interpretation of those other texts in the epistles rather than reversing that order. Absolutely. Um, and the other place that, that it becomes a really useful thing to start with is simply by going to uh, the apostolic faith, uh, that, that it's, it's not sort of your job to, to reinvent the creed because you've got a better idea than how the church has always understood this. We, we stand on scripture and scripture alone. And so, you know, you, you've probably heard your pastor at least once or 50 bajillion times tell you that scripture interprets scripture, which means that when you come to a part that you're not quite sure about, you, you retreat to a part that you're sure about and you work forward from there. But also that, that we're not sort of stuck, uh, like, uh, uh, bunch of monkeys with keyboards trying to recreate the Nicene Creed, but instead, rather, we can actually look to how the church has addressed this going forward through generation to generation. And, and we can sort of see there were places where Paul is very clearly inside of the church dealing with this. But what does Paul want for us? And again, we can go to the, the very clear word of God. So when he's, he's wrestling with how to deal with tongues, we can say, well, he also in Ephesians tells us that faith comes, uh, or excuse me, that is by uh, grace through faith that we are saved and not by works. Uh, we can see uh, Peter himself preaching right now in tongues and more people are understanding. Um, and so as, as we start to deal with, you know, what it is or should we be doing it or or, or, or how do we address it? I, I think, you know, we, we, we go to... Um, well, the same way the large catechism in a lot of ways interprets it, it, it says, first, is there a, a word and command? Is there a command and promise to this? In other words, is, is this something that has happened or something that God is commanding you to do? Is this descriptive of something that did happen or prescriptive of something that you are to do? And if it is the Holy Spirit doing this and there is no prescription for you to do it, then recognize it's gone right now. It might come back. But that's up to the spirit, not you. In the meanwhile, what, what you have been prescribed to do is, is be faithful. He, he actually didn't prescribe a language to preach in, but he, he prescribed what to preach. Namely, that, that uh, Christ who was crucified is risen from the dead. The, the doctrine is actually the place where God would prescribe how we are to preach. And so if you're, you're babbling about in tongues is, is making doctrine more obscure or more secret or harder to, to understand um, or harder to, to discern, you're doing it wrong. You need to start over. That's right. I, I mean, I think this is, this really brings back the importance of what you were saying earlier about not disconnecting the sign from the word, because the, the word is the assurance that the Holy Spirit is in fact active. I mean, when you, my mind, when it goes to, when I think about Pentecost often goes to the words that Jesus spoke to his disciples in the upper room on Monday, Thursday, from John 14 and 15, particularly. And, and always when Jesus talks about sending the helper, the advocate, the comforter, however you translate that Greek word paraclete, the, his job is always to point to Jesus. And if that's missing, then it doesn't really matter how spectacular the sign is. 
it doesn't matter because you're not getting Jesus. And the importance of connecting the sign with the word and never separating those two is, is of utmost importance, particularly here. Absolutely. Um, the demons themselves babbled. Um, like their, their legion uh, spoke and all kinds of things. There was the, the um, uh, man whose son was uh, possessed by a demon and had seizures and made, I'm sure, all sorts of sounds. Uh, but but here we actually want the clear word of God. And and in the same way, the demons were, were capable of, of great signs. But um, well, if if an angel himself were to appear to them and preach a different gospel, let him be accursed. We we need these two things to be connected, the word and the signs. And, and that means we can't have the signs without the word, but it also means we can't have the word without those things that God has called us to have that, that, you know, so the, the beginning of Pentecost won't just sort of end with the idea that, you know, we'll, we'll slip a Bible into every hotel drawer and call it good. But we actually do want to see this brought to, to its, its finality that people would receive God's gifts in word and sacrament, that, that they would be baptized, that they would be uh, where, wherever able brought to, to his table to eat and drink his body and blood, that these great signs are the things that are given to us to, to sustain the church in hope. And we, we, we hold them together because they're God-given. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFUO. We're talking about Acts chapter 2 with Pastor Harrison Goodman. We need to take a short break, but we'll be right back. Please stick around. Did you know that Lutherans are helping new American immigrants get settled? How about struggling church workers in need of support and refreshment? And we assist at-risk children and provide disaster response to hurricane victims. Through LCMS recognized service organizations, we are doing all this and more. I'm Rahema Kavuga of Lutheran Church Extension Fund, and I don't want you to miss out on hearing what your brothers and sisters in Christ are up to. Visit interesttime.org to see how your support gives life to these works of mercy and love. Sharper Iron. It is Wednesday, April 27th. We're studying Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 13 with Pastor Harrison Goodman. He serves as the content executive for Higher Things. Pastor Goodman, prior to the break, we were talking about the various signs that are given on the day of Pentecost, but none of them disconnected from the word that is preached on this day of Pentecost. Now, these signs, as we mentioned, do catch the attention of all these people who are there in Jerusalem for the feast. Take us into to what happens in verse 5 as we start to hear about this multitude. So there were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And that word devout actually matters. They're, they're here uh, for the, the, the festival celebration. And they are from all these places that uh, hopefully your pastor has practiced before the readings uh, because it's, it, you don't want to mess up. Um, they, they recognize the apostles. These are the Galileans. They they should be talking in in sort of that backwards accent that that we all know and love to make fun of. But we each hear of it in our own language. Um, and what's fun for me is how many of them think that they're they're drunk. Um, others mocking said they are they are filled with new wine. They are filled with gut rot. Um. I think that this might actually be that the, the place to start to talk um, about what it is that they were hearing, uh, because normally when you hear somebody say things that they never could have known, when you hear them speaking in a language you didn't think, with absolute clarity, with with no more funny accent, with with uh, you probably don't think they've been drinking. You somehow wonder where they get smarter. Um, I think the ridiculousness doesn't come in that they were speaking, but what they were speaking. Uh, they they are uh, preaching now uh, to devout men, uh, a doctrine that they are not 
quite ready to hear. Uh, the, the, the gospel that sounds utterly foolish to people who are in bondage under the law. Uh, it's a chance to sort of talk about, you know, uh, what it is that, that it is to, to receive the, the Holy Spirit. Because when we talk about even simply that there is a Holy Spirit, we recognize that there are other ones. Um, Jesus talks about unclean spirits and chases them out of folks all the time. But there are, there, there are spirits all over the place. And I don't just mean to sort of be, you know, mystic or Gnostic or any such thing, but we, we talk about things like the spirit of the age or the spirit of mankind, uh, the spirit of our culture. Um, and in all of these things, we have something that is, that is constantly shifting, constantly demanding, constantly condemning, and never actually saving. Um, and for some reason, it is it is so enticing to us to be caught up inside of it, to, to direct our preaching uh, towards the things of this world, towards itching ears, towards the things that we want to hear that would affirm everything that has gone awry inside of a culture, but it's popular, so let's go with it. Um, and instead, we have the Holy Spirit, the the the, the, the cleansing spirit, the set apart for a purpose spirit um, that is forgiving sinners. Uh, one kind of preaching is pointing to Jesus for sinners that sounds drunk to everybody who thinks they can do it without him. And the other kind of preaching uh, will sound wonderful to the world because it makes Jesus into nothing more than sort of a, a token weapon for the side you're on against the side you're not on, but it won't ever actually save. Um, that the spirit of Pentecost, the, the Holy Spirit, is is an important thing for the the church that is at work inside of society today, uh, because it it doesn't just sort of mark that we are set apart, but it also marks that we are to to preach mercy even when we are set apart. That that Peter and and you'll you'll spend some time with this. Um, he 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 doesn't just get up and say we're different than you or you don't understand or you are wrong or you are evil. But, but he goes on after preaching the law uh, to, to forgive them, to, to call them uh, in, in repentance towards the font. Um, it, it's a place where the, the church that is in the midst of a society that does not agree with them actually has more to say and not less. And I think that's a really important thing for us to sort of meditate on as we, we sort of deal with the, the continued assaults um, against uh, the, the, the apostolic faith in, in society today, it, it gets really easy to sort of get discouraged and say, well, if they already disagree with us, we have nothing left to say to them. But really, it probably means we have more to say to them now. Um, now we actually have answers to their questions and they don't even realize it yet. So so maybe we ought to be preaching Jesus for sinners to them. It, it doesn't mean ignoring the law, but it, it means preaching the gospel alongside it. it. It means preaching the gospel to those who are burdened by it. And it means sounding utterly drunk. And that's a good thing. Um, it, 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 it is a good thing because it still gives us the chance to answer the, the question that, that they're going to pose, the catechism question, what does this mean? Uh, you guys memorized that. You, you learned that in confirmation. Every time somebody says, what does this mean? You, you guys should be halfway out through the, the, the explanation of it. I know you all have it memorized. It's really helpful. It, it's actually what mission work really does truly look like. The catechism gives us a vocabulary to preach uh, the gospel in a, in a right way. Um, if, if you want to sort of train yourself towards mission, it's not just sort of like working up the courage to talk to strangers. That's hard. I don't like it. That's this good thing we're on the radio. Um, but but <laughs> rather, it gives us what to say to people who are struggling with these things, who ask questions like, you know, what is marriage? And, and we can actually start then with with a, a, a joyful thing that marriage is such a good thing that God would uh, call us to uphold it, that, that we should fear and love God so that we lead a chaste and decent life in what we say and do and husband and wife love and honor each other. That in all of these things, we have a God who is constantly calling us back towards the faith. And so in a world that is apart from it, you're going to look absolutely crazy for, for saying it, but say it more because uh, there's hope there. 
Mm. I appreciate you bringing out that this reaction is not just from the fact that they're all speaking in these strange languages that they'd never learned. And I mean, you know, you think about the various places that are mentioned and the fact that that these are Jews who have come from that area. It's likely that they would have known more than one language themselves, knowing, you know, say the Hebrew or the Aramaic so that they can read the scriptures or worship in the synagogue wherever they are. And yet also knowing the local language as well. So, you know, people knowing a language that doesn't maybe match their ethnic identity, that's not entirely strange. But the the strangeness is is not just the fact that they're all talking in these languages that they've never learned before, but even in what they are saying. And, and there is a, a purpose to that. And I appreciate you bringing that out. It reminds me of the way Jesus speaks at the end of Luke's gospel when he, you know, he gives the apostles, he opens their minds to understand the scriptures and he teaches them what to preach, that they are to go and proclaim repentance for the forgiveness of sins. There's a goal to that repentance. It's not just repentance for repentance sake, but it is for the forgiveness of sins that, I mean, and yes, preach repentance. As you said, preach the law. It needs to be preached, but it is for the purpose of forgiving, forgiving sins. And that sounds crazy to the world, but keep preaching it because that's what they need. Right. And it's actually going to take care of itself. Um, Pentecost is actually, an, it's it's an explanation that you can look at to the third article of the creed that you know from, again, your catechism. They were called, gathered, enlightened, sanctified, and kept in the one true faith, all in just simply the, the preaching of God's word. It, it, it's not sort of Peter's job here then to to make sure that they are rightfully sorry or, or even rightfully uplifted after the, the, the sermon is over so they can go out into the world and tell three people about it. But but rather, he simply is given over to, to preach the counsel of God. And um, inside of all of it, it was the spirit who called and gathered them together. It was the spirit who, by the words of the preacher, enlightened and sanctified them. It is the spirit who keeps them in the true faith. Um, the, the gift of this is, is that it, it's ripped utterly out of your control. And, and it's God at work inside of this to, to, by his word and sacraments, bring you to faith and hold you there that you would inherit the kingdom. That's hmm. a remarkable meaning that Luther writes there for the third article that I believe I that I cannot believe. I mean, what a, what an amazing thing. And yet that is the miracle that is accomplished not only on the day of Pentecost here, but every time the word is preached in our, in our congregation still today, that is the Holy Spirit at work to bring people who otherwise couldn't believe, who would think this is crazy talk, to actually bring them to believe that Jesus is their savior and then to keep them there, as you said. Absolutely. And it's the same spirit because it's the same faith because it's the same church. I, I guess maybe I said that backwards. Um, it's the same church because it's the same faith because it's the same spirit. Um, but it, it actually, it, it's helpful when your pastor doesn't speak in weird languages or have fire on his head. He just wears a stole. Your pastor is called immediately. Your, your pastor is called through means and, and not immediately apart from means. Um, but, but you can still trust because the church has, has spoken there. It's the same Holy Spirit that preaches through your pastor as it is that preached through them because he is a part of the apostolic faith. He is rightly called through that. And, and so that means then uh, the same miracle that happened on Pentecost that Sunday, all those years ago where people were called, gathered, enlightened, sanctified, and kept is still going on right now in, in your parish, in your congregation where your pastor is still preaching. And again, the same spirit is calling, gathering, enlightening, and sanctifying, and, and, and keeping in, in this faith. Uh, you, you, again, don't have less. It, it's, it's important because it, it's, it's not rooted in the signs, but what the signs are pointing to. The signs are pointing to Jesus, and Jesus is on your altar. So go there. 
That's right. I mean, and again, that goes back to what Jesus talks about, the work of the Holy Spirit in the upper room. It's always the Holy Spirit is bringing to their remembrance what Jesus said, always pointing them to the peace that only Jesus gives. And and wherever, wherever Jesus is being preached, there the Holy Spirit is at work. And, and wherever the Holy Spirit is at work, there Jesus is being preached. I mean, you know, Pentecost, that's the only day of the year Lutherans talk about the Holy Spirit, right? That's kind of the, the joke. <laughs> but the reality is we we talk about Jesus because that's what the Holy Spirit wants us to do. That's that's him at work. And and if I I mean I I've I've posed this, I guess it's a thought experiment of sorts to my confirmation classes before. Now imagine a, a sermon in which the Holy Spirit keeps getting named all the time. The Holy Spirit does this, the Holy Spirit does that, and, and all this over and over again. But Christ crucified is never preached. Is the Holy Spirit actually at work in that sermon? I, I don't think he is. Right. And it gives us a chance to sort of address the third article of the creed that, that we know. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. We we sort of grab this creed, uh, this article of the creed and treat it like the junk drawer in your kitchen. We're like, this is just all the extra stuff. I don't really know what to do with it. So uh, here's some dead batteries from an old flashlight and a tape measure and I guess and a couple of pencils and we'll just keep it there just in case. Um, but rather... The, the, all of the explanations are where to find the Holy Spirit. We preach the Holy Spirit all the time because we preach the forgiveness of sins. We preach the resurrection of body. We preach the communion of saints. Everywhere these things are being given, that is the Holy Spirit. It's just where to find him. Um, and that's important in the same way that we sort of say, I know where to find Jesus. I look to the cross and the empty tomb. This is the place that, that will mark the forgiveness of my sins. I also, I need to know where to find the Holy Spirit because, well, Jesus himself said, I'm not going to find him otherwise. Like the wind, he, he, I don't know where he's coming. I don't know where he's going. So instead, I get to look at the font and I say, well, is the word spoken over that water? There's the Holy Spirit. I know he's right there. I don't have to worry. I don't have to doubt. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's, I mean, and that's the, I guess the, the tragedy of, of when our Pentecostal friends bring that doubt in, well, you didn't speak in tongues, so you're not really baptized with the Holy Spirit, or you don't have the gift of healing or whatever it is. They say you, you don't have enough. And so you don't have the Holy Spirit to, to rob the Christian conscience of that comfort. It's just a terrible tragedy. The devil's always sort of at work to, to rip apart um, faith. Uh, it, it, the, the, and by faith, I, I don't just mean sort of you from God. But even just sort of, uh, well, we have fancy Latin words for it, uh, but but we, we have sort of the, the the doctrine and the trust. We have the fetus qua and the fetus, uh, fetus quae and the fetus qua. Um, the, the fetus quae, the, the doctrine, the faith which is believed, it, it's the creed. It, it's the apostolic faith. It's the, the truth that is given by the scriptures handed down for you from generation to generation to Christian that you would still confess the same way Peter did. But there's also the fetus qua, the, the trust, the faith by which it is believed, that the person personal faith. And the devil would always sort of pry these two things apart. You see it in the Pentecostals who really want to measure, you know, like, do you really believe? And I want to measure this not in, do you actually think Jesus rose from the dead? And can you confess the Trinity? But like, have you, have you flopped about in a, in a proper fashion? Um, and I, I don't know. Um, but but here the two the, the two need to go together. Um, you've seen it yourself, even if you you never learned the Latin from it. Every once in a while, you'll you'll like you'll go to a funeral and you'll find somebody there who they actually they kind of seem at peace. 
and and that's good. You're like, I'm glad you're not sad. I'm glad you're not heartbroken. And then they'll tell you why. And you're like, oh no, um, <laughs> that's, that's not okay. It's their personal faith and it is heartfelt and it is genuine that they, that the person they lost will be reincarnated as, as the dog that they will adopt from the pound. And not, no, honey, that's not right. Um, that, that won't actually save. Even if you are truly heartfelt about it, if you truly, truly mean it, when you speak in the, the babbling tongues that you are sure the spirit means, it does not actually point to Jesus. And in the same way, it's also the devil to, to uh, devil's aim to, to sort of rip apart personal faith from the truths of the scripture that are actually meant to comfort troubled consciences. And so it would sort of be like going to the same funeral and walking up to somebody who is crushed by their loss and just screaming the Athanasian creed in their face, yelling, we worship one God in Trinity and Trinity and unity, neither confusing the persons or dividing the substance, stop being sad. And sort of resting on that, that idea that, that just simply yelling facts will somehow, because you know enough Bible trivia, do work. Uh, the, these two things are meant to go together. You are supposed to have a personal faith, but your personal faith is supposed to be in the apostolic faith. The, the, the two things go together, doctrine and trust. And whenever you try to rip one from the other in either way, it, it, it's wrong. You, you, you kind of see the Pentecostals. They're almost right. They're, they try so hard to be right and sort of pointing out, you do actually need a personal faith. You can't just know Bible trivia. The devil knows more Bible trivia than you. That's not going to help him. But on the other hand, you can't just have a personal faith without a doctrine, without a, a faith that is believed. We, we say that we confess one holy Christian or even small c Catholic apostolic faith, that the same faith. And so it's a joy that my personal trust is the same as your personal trust because it's delivered by the same Holy Spirit who has brought to us hope that Jesus is risen from the dead so that when we are at that funeral, we can confess the same hope, sing the same hymn, and, and find joy in the same salvation that actually does work. It, 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 it's a, a fellowship then that rests on um, not, not necessarily faith, but the source of faith, namely the Spirit, because everybody has faith in something. But we have we have the Holy Spirit who is uniting faith in something that that truly does actually save. And I mean the the people as they speak, they recognize that there is a, a something here. As we've been saying, it's not just the fact that there are a multitude of languages being spoken here, but there's something being preached. They they speak it the mighty works of God. That's what they're hearing, and that's where the questions start to arise. And the the what does this mean? That's going to be the the question that Peter's going to answer, so that it it doesn't just stay there with the the bare facts. I and mean, those are important. We confess them each week in the creed, but we always also make sure to confess that it's for you. It, it's not just bare facts. This is what happened. That's that. It's facts for you. And both things have to be there. Absolutely. It's so important. Um, I, I, I measure it in carbohydrates personally, because there's, there's a difference between a cookie and a cookie for you. Like if there's just a cookie, <laughs> that's great that you have a cookie, but if, unless, if you're not going to give it, I don't care if you have a cookie. If it's a cookie for me, I want to talk to you. Um, it's, it, it's Luther in the catechism was he's he dealing with the Lord's supper. Um, I, when I was, I was being catechized, I, I thought the most important words were is because it is his body and it is his blood. And anybody that says otherwise is wrong. And they need to know about it. But but rather, Luther highlights over and over again that the words that really matter here are given and shed for you, for the forgiveness of sins. Because if it is his body and blood and it's not for you, it does you no good. You got to eat it and drink it for the forgiveness of sins. But if it is for you, then what it is all of a sudden really matters because it's actually doing something that, that actually addresses your sins, your death, your guilt, your shame, your despair. God is giving hope. Hmm. 
I like the example of the cookie because I don't, yeah, and I think I think that the way you connect it to the Lord's Supper is, is fantastic because I don't want it to be anything less than the cookie, mm-hmm. but I also want it to be for me. I, I, and both of them go together, right? And same with the body and blood. If it's anything less than the body and blood, it's not going to forgive my sins. But if that body and blood isn't for me, then what what good does it do me? And when you put them together, what a fantastic gift you have. And and that, too, is a gift from the spirit. Absolutely. Uh, again, anytime you sort of have somebody trying to take two things that God gives you and set them against each other, you understand that you're dealing with somebody trying to get out of one of them. Uh, so anybody who wants for you, but to, to sort of take away from the substance of it. So it, it's it's absolutely communion for you. And, and by for you, I mean, absolutely everybody is welcome. Let's bring everybody up to the Lord's table because we're not actually giving them anything in particular. It's just sort of a, a representation of their faith. Well, I, I want to talk because that's not right. He actually says it is his body and is his blood. And you, you can even get hurt commuting wrong. So we, we need to be careful with it. But when you are brought to this altar, you need to know that even in the midst of your sin, in the midst of your despair, it is for you to receive. And so anybody who simply says, well, I know what it is, but it doesn't do me any good. Woe to them because they have set apart uh, from themselves the very gift of God that is to actually address their conscience, give them hope that, that we don't just simply know about Jesus, but we we receive Jesus. Um, both of these things absolutely need to be true. Yeah, the, the the great comfort that is there knowing that it is the gift of God, it is for me, it's just, it's all over this text. And this will only keep getting brought out as we continue forward into the rest of the chapter in the coming episodes. Another another thing that comes to my mind, and when, when I think about the comfort of this text, is that the react, with the reaction of the, the crowd, the multitude, you know, aren't these all just Galileans? And, and aren't they just drunk? That, you know, what, what an amazing thing that the Lord takes a bunch of Galileans and he uses them as his mouthpiece. That, that's just remarkable that again, it's, it's not about me, but it's about what the Lord is doing here in this place through his word. Right. Look to uh, the, the idea that that um, Peter isn't going to necessarily defend his character, um, but but he's going to he's going to defend the, the veracity of the word. Uh, you, you'll start out with this next time and you, you should absolutely listening if you're listening now. Uh, but but look that that uh, Peter's proclamation of, of the forgiveness of sins that everything that's happening on this day of Pentecost, it's not contingent on Peter not being a sinner. It's not contingent on Peter doing enough good that he is worthy to preach the word of God. It's simply on the Holy Spirit's opening his mouth. And so, of course, he's going to preach. Um, it, it, it's a joy uh, to, to let this this sort of be the, the, um, the, the beginning of Pentecost, because then I can, I can begin my sermons uh, with the psalm, O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. It's just going to happen. Um, if, if it is you, O Lord, who is opening my mouth, then I, I know I'm a sinner. This is Luther's sacristy prayer. Um, I, I will surely make a mess of all of it. But but Lord, if it's you, it's going to be okay. So so do your thing. Mm. Yeah, and, and certainly that is what the Lord does through Peter on this day. This, I mean, it is a remarkable text. And again, I appreciate the way you've been bringing it up because one of the the challenges of this text is that, you know, I've, I have never been to church where there's been a loud rushing wind, <laughs> where there's been tongues of fire, where people have spoken in lots of different languages. And and the temptation, you know, is that, wow, maybe, maybe the spirit isn't at work. But, but as you've been explaining this, no, in fact, he is because the word is being preached and, and this very thing still happens. And, you know, it, it's not in a spectacular way, but, but yet it is because Christ crucified is being preached 
for me. And that, that makes all the difference. Right. We, we, we're remembering why we're at church in the first place. In fact, like I, I guarantee you that if your sermon were interrupted by wind, people would complain to the elders. Um, <laughs> they can't hear. Uh, show us the things that, that matter. Um, and so what is the wind, uh, the, the sound of the wind, excuse me, pointing to? It, it, it'd be wonderful if there were, you know, tongues of flame that didn't actually burn the church down. Because again, I don't want my church to burn down. Um, but, but what do those things point to uh, your your pastor's doing that. In fact, he's probably literally physically pointing to the cross of Christ that is for you for the forgiveness of your sins. Uh, we we hear this same word of God. We carry it with us in, in our hearts. We we mark it on our foreheads and above our doors. This is the word of God that saves. And so it's it's never something then that that is to be sort of minimized or or, or sort of uh, cast aside for something flashy and and that that fades within a moment. But but rather it, it's the very thing that has empowered all of those things. For if there were no word of God. There will surely be no miracles in the first place. Mm, yeah, and and then I mean, well, look at the miracle though that the word of God does produce here, and and we've been talking about the faith that will come as we will see at the rest of the chapter. But even just the the great number of people from all these places that come together, my mind goes to to like Isaiah chapter two, where the nations are streaming to Mount Zion. The Lord has Himself talked about how when He's lifted up from the earth, He'll draw all men to Himself. And we, we start to get a picture of that here at Pentecost, that again, even though these, these people have spoken different languages, yet they are brought together into this one church because there is one Lord and one spirit. Right. Uh, and so we'll, we'll mark the church this way then. Am I hearing the same hope? Am I hearing the same Jesus that Peter preached on Pentecost? That's, that's what I need. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, and that's where, and, and when you, when you see that the church is in fact there that, that even though, and you know, man, it looks like a ragtag group of Galileans, but they're hearing the words of Jesus. And so there the spirit is at work gathering his church, keeping them there, bringing them to eternal life. Right. But it was the same ragtag group of ki uh, kids that were hiding in the locked room because they were afraid of, of uh, what would happen right. to them before. And, and so where God wants to work there, it's going to work. Um, it, it's, it's always going to be our temptation to sort of build a church without obstacles. Uh, it would be a really easy uh, job if there were no sinners that you had to preach to. Uh, I'm sure there would be no problems in church if there were no death and we would never complain about numbers if there were no loss. But instead of this, you have a gospel that conquers all of those things. Sin, death, and the devil are all brought to nothing, even if it is sinners who are dying and assaulted by the devil while they preach. Rejoice that that even in the midst of all of these things, that the ragtag group, so to speak, it's not even bound together by their courage or, or their, their, you know, uh, making good choices while they're, they're uh, um, the, the, uh, the encouraging music plays in the soundtrack of the movie or, or the, the great, you know, climactic moment where, you know, good will triumph over evil because we are going to stand together and it's, it's the Holy Spirit wants to preach to sinners. And so the Holy Spirit's going to preach to sinners and you can't stop the Holy Spirit from preaching to sinners. So rejoice because you're one of the sinners the Holy Spirit preaches to. <laughs> Pastor Goodman, we got about two minutes here left on the morning. Help us to wrap this text up, set the stage for what we're going to see on the rest of the day of Pentecost. It's actually the important part. Um, when, when you gave me this uh, this text, I was like, whoa, we're about to, and then we had to stop. Uh, so definitely <laughs> tune in because uh, again, we have the stage being set. We have all of the, the sort of the, the enthusiastic things happening, but what's really, really going to matter is what's when Peter opens his mouth is going to come next. If Peter is going to preach, then and all of these things that, that, uh, that the people are, are standing there uh, with, they're going to actually get to address their consciences. So uh, they, they are brought together by maybe a, a rushing wind. They are perplexed by a, uh, um, hearing something that they wouldn't expect to hear. But I think the thing that really perplexed them was that they were hearing the gospel instead of the law, that these are the people who cried out, Hosanna, save us. And then they turned around and yelled, crucify.
crucify, crucify, because they were stirred up by the leaders at the time. And maybe just maybe they've got some guilt over the thing. Maybe just maybe they've got some guilt in their own lives because every last one of them has broken one of the Ten Commandments or, you know, all of them. But instead, uh, what they get to hear is, is what to do with their sins. Peter is going to open his mouth and you'll get to see not just sort of what it looks like, but what it sounds like when the Holy Spirit is at work. And that's the really cool part because you still get to hear it today. Pastor Harrison Goodman serves as content executive for Higher Things, helping us today with Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 13. Pastor Goodman, thanks for being our guest today. Thanks so much. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. If you have any questions about Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, any of the book of Acts, please send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org or use the open mic feature on the app to send a message to us. We always love to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.